few weeks back, I mentioned in a talk, uh, hot off the press book by our dear friend Sophie Savage. Do you, do you remember that? Um, she was given uh, a few weeks or months to live at most after she was diagnosed with late stage cancer, lung cancer. According to her doctor, saving her life was no longer an option. Preserving its quality was now their primary aim. Which pissed me off, she writes. They seemed to be consigning to me my statistical fate without giving me the chance to be one of the few inexplicable ones who beats the odds. Sophie isn't living in cloud cuckoo land. Uh, she knows the disease may well still get her, probably will. But she's decided to live, to live one day at a time, one hour at a time, moment by moment. And she's written inspiringly about this with a whole lot more besides in her book, uh, The Cancer Whisperer, How to Let Cancer Heal Your Life. And in fact, it's, it is, you know, if you know someone, particularly someone whose life is affected by cancer themselves or of a loved one, I cannot recommend this book enough. It's uh, available at the moment on Kindle, terribly cheaply, actually. And uh, she's also developed a whole course uh, for people to go through as well. And uh, it's just the most incredible thing that at that point when you've had this, uh, you know, death diagnosis, um, that so much productivity begins to emerge. But here's the thing, you see, at the start of her journey, her diagnostician diagnostician, is that right, <laughs> told her an extraordinary thing before passing her on to the oncologist. He said, don't become a patient, Mrs. Savage. Live your life. Don't become a patient. Live your life. Now, this may simply be an impressive piece of bedside manner. Um, he's accustomed to giving potentially bad news to people every day, no doubt. And he's seen the effect it often has, causing a person... Uh, to a whole life to go on hold, to, to shut down. So he's saying, in effect, don't allow your life to be straitjacketed by fear and anxiety. It is still your life. It's still happening. However, what I hear in this statement by this doctor is not just a doctor speaking to his patients, but I hear a powerful piece of wisdom to us all as we set out on the journey through Advent. Yesterday, I took delivery of Mary Oliver's latest book of poems. She's 80 now, uh, and in 2012, she was diagnosed with lung cancer, from which she now appears to be given the all clear. The poem that you heard a moment ago from Helen is entitled The Fourth Sign of the Zodiac. You know what that is, don't you? Cancer. The poem actually comprises of four short poems uh, about her experience with cancer. We heard the third one a moment ago. But as well as being a poem about cancer, it's also a very evocative meditation on life in general. So this talk is a bit of a meditation on this poem, really. Uh, it's, the talk is framed around the poems with four brief recordings of Mary Oliver herself reading them. So here is the first one, which describes the way that cancer entered her life. Hunters walked the forest without a sound. The hunter strapped to his rifle, the fox on his feet of silk, the serpent on his empire of muscles, all move in a stillness 
hungry, careful, intent, just as the cancer entered the forest of my body without a sound. Why should I be surprised? Why should I have been surprised? Life's like that, after all. Hunters walk the forest without a sound. The fox on his feet of silk, the serpent on his empire of muscles, all move in stillness. Circumstances in general mostly turn up unannounced, don't they? Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans, John Lennon famously wrote. Of course, if the circumstances are happy, if they're happy circumstances, then that isn't a problem at all. Who doesn't love a pleasant surprise? But life isn't all happiness. It isn't all pleasant surprises, as we know. <coughs> to be honest, the passage from Luke, which Steph read to us, isn't one of my favourites. Uh, left to my own devices, I probably would not select it as a reading, but it's a set reading for Advent. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Luke wrote this in AD 85 or thereabouts, just a few years after the Romans had destroyed the Jerusalem temple. They were turbulent times, and that's why actually it's a reading that does resonate with us in our times too. We too live in turbulent times. Uh, attackers in Paris, Lebanon, and elsewhere also move in stillness. No one knows who these people are when they're moving around us. They have no badge with terrorist written on it. So we become wary of strangers. And bigots find an excuse to target their bigotry on anyone that they don't like or they don't understand. Thank God for people like Ashley Powers, whose story I posted on Facebook uh, a week or so ago. On a tube train in London, he witnessed a young woman wearing a hijab being abused by a man who was shouting at her and calling at her and calling her raghead, terrorist and scum. And the train was full of people, but no one did anything about it. But setting aside his fear, Ashley went and stood up to this rather large man. He stood in front of him. He pushed him away from the woman. And, uh, and then he went and sat down next to her, distracting her with small talk, asking her what her name was and so on. And the man carried on abusing throughout, but uh, Ashley took her attention away from it. When it came to his stop, uh, he asked if she would like him to stay on until her stop. Tears rolled down her face when she thanked him for what she described as his tremendous kindness and bravery. I don't think I was being brave, he said. I just saw someone in need, and it was my human nature to do what I could. He hugged her when he handed her over safely to her friends at the other end. He hugged her and he saw her safely joined up with them and he assured her that there were many people like him and she should never have to feel afraid in her own country. And this is her country and her city, he said. <coughs> Scary circumstances, whether the onset of illness uh, a ranting bigot on the tube or some other foreboding uh, present us with a choice. 
whether to hold our breath, become paralyzed with fear, or take a deep breath. Grab life by the scruff of the neck and get on with living it. Let's listen to Mary Oliver's second poem. This is the second poem on these four. The question is, what will it be like after the last day? Will I float into the sky, or will I fray within the earth or a river, remembering nothing? How desperate I would be if I couldn't remember the sun rising, if I couldn't remember trees, rivers, if I couldn't even remember, beloved, your beloved name. What will it be like after the last day? The truth is, we don't know, do we? We don't know what tomorrow will bring, let alone after the last day. But illness, bereavement, and just living in turbulent and uncertain times all drive us to ask the question, to wonder what lies ahead, what lies ahead in our future here, but also after the last day. Will we float into the sky, as it were? Or will we fray within the earth or a river, remembering nothing? It's in the nature of being human that we don't know things. Important things. Things we would love to know and to understand, but can't. It's strange how people sometimes get mad with me when I refuse to sign up to their little certainties about things when I'm giving talks around the place. Things like heaven and hell. If you don't believe in hell, a man said to me after a talk earlier this year, if you don't believe in hell, if you don't believe that only Christians will go to heaven and everyone else will spend eternity in hell, well, then you can't be a proper Christian yourself. So you see, I was getting where he was coming from or where he was going to or where he thought I was going to. <laughs> in another of her new poems, Mary Oliver says, I have refused to live locked in the orderly house of reasons and proofs. I have refused to live locked in the orderly house of reasons and proofs. The world I live in and believe in is wider than that. And anyway, what's wrong with maybe? The problem is we like certainty. We like to know what's happening and when. But that isn't always possible. We may think that we have answers from the Bible or from Christian teaching and tradition. Well, good for you if you think you have the answers and feel that confident about them. I still have many more questions than I do have answers. But faith is about trust, not certainty. It's about choosing to live in a particular way. It's not about signing up to some set of propositions as if they were certitudes beyond doubt. Why, I've sometimes wondered, why wouldn't people ask me how I treat my wife if they want to know whether I'm a real Christian? What I do with my money, whether I stand against injustice, how much I care about climate change. Surely these are the sorts of things that matter, not whether or not we feel certain about things that no one can prove anyway. However, what the uncertainty of life causes the poet to cherish all the more are the many precious gifts that she has, that we have now. <coughs> the sun, the sun rising, the trees and rivers, the name of our beloved, our friends. Faith is the response to uncertainty, 
that enables and empowers and inspires us to live more fully the life that we have been given now. Which brings us quite seamlessly to Mary Oliver's third poem. Three. I know you've never intended to be in this world, but you're in it all the same. So why not get started immediately? I mean, belonging to it. There is so much to admire, to weep over, and to write music or poems about it. Bless the feet that take you to and fro. Bless the eyes and the listening ears. Bless the tongue, the marvel of taste. Bless touching. You could live a hundred years, it's happened, or not. I'm speaking from the fortunate platform of many years, none of which I think I ever wasted. Do you need a prod? Do you need a little darkness to get you going? Let me be as urgent as a knife then and remind you of Keats, so single of purpose and thinking for a while he had a lifetime. Let me be urgent as a knife then and remind you of Keats, so single of purpose and thinking for a while, he had a lifetime. But of course we know, sadly, died at the age of 25, still burning bright. For me, this third poem in the four is the guts of the whole thing, the sheer wonder of the world and of living in it, and the urgent need to embrace that. Why not get started immediately? I mean belonging to it. There is so much to admire, to weep over. And there's the tension right there. So much to admire, to weep over. Advent is intended to be a period of reflection. So it's sad when we all get dragged down that galloping train down the road to Christmas with baubles and tinsel everywhere. My solemn advice to you is pause and experience Advent. It's a time of reflection, maybe of darkness too. May I suggest that during these days of Advent, we reflect upon these two things a little more. Things to admire and be grateful for. Things to weep over in our world. Things to admire. Just taking time to notice the simple blessings that actually weren't on sale on Black Friday because they're free, but priceless. Bless the feet that take you to and fro. Bless the eyes and listening ears. Bless the tongue, the marvel of taste. Bless touching. Be gratefully attentive. Be gratefully attentive for a body, for friends and family, a nice cup of tea, a banana, for work and play, for St. Luke's, for music, for prayers, for bread and wine, for breathing. Things also to weep over. Taking time to feel the pain of others in our world, some that we know and feel the pain of intensely and others who are far off and yet somehow still the pain is transmitted. Taking time to weep over to share kindness with stranger as well as friend, 
to offer support and encouragement where needed, to bother to write a message to someone, to just be there. Sometimes we do need a prod, a little awareness of darkness to get us going, a little sense of the pain of others as well as ourselves, the reminder that Keats thought he had a lifetime. Let's hear the final poem. Late yesterday afternoon in the heat, all the fragile blue flowers in blue in the shrubs in the yard next door had tumbled from the shrubs and lay wrinkled and faded on the grass. But this morning the shrubs were full of the blue flowers again. There wasn't a single one on the grass. How, I wondered, do they roll or crawl back to the shrubs and then back up to the branches that fiercely wanting, as we all do, just a little more of life. In the end, hope. The beauty of this season lies not in the feasting and drinking, though I intend to have a bit of that. It lies not in the tinsel and the baubles, definitely not in the consumerist frenzy of must-haves for Christmas. The beauty lies in the remembrance that the world is pregnant with hope. Wherever we look, you can't see it. You can't see what's going on under the ground with those seeds, can you? It just looks like barren earth. A world that's pregnant with hope. Summer's long gone. Plants have surrendered their life, bending brown and wrinkled. Yellow leaves have floated to the ground and lie there. All that grows and lives must give up life, including us. But the cycle of life continues, for hidden in winter's death grip is spring's open-handed, full-brimmed breath of life. But this morning the shrubs were full of the blue flowers again. Life goes on, hope blossoms once more, isn't this why we come here, week in, week out? To see our friends, yes, but is that all? We could do that at home. Isn't this why we come here? Why we tell the story again and again? To renew our commitment to living hopefully, faithfully. How, I wondered. How, I wondered. That's it, friends. In the end wonder. That's why I'm here, to wonder a little bit more. Amen.